The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Kazaa! Benny! You're all in one piece. It's the healthiest way to be. Yeah. They yanked me off the street and dragged me here. We tried to help all those in trouble. Mm. Most noble undertaking, and we are grateful. And now if I can repay you... We your... do not take gold in payment. Something wrong with gold that I don't know about? You say you expect justice from El Malid. Mm -hmm. You'll get nothing from that old pipsqueak without Saladin's permission. It was Saladin's bandits who attacked your caravan. Who is this Saladin? The Grand Vizier. El Malid wears the crown, but he's an empty-headed old fool. It's Saladin who rules Baghdad. Listen to me, Kazar. The good citizens of Baghdad have dedicated themselves to ridding their city of Saladin and his tyranny. We need reinforcements. Every man we can get. So that's what this is, draft headquarters for revolution. We are not interested in joining rebels. Mm. Rebels? <laughs> the man's an idiot. Kazar, not a single caravan has reached Baghdad in the last eight months. Soradin's bandits patrol every route into the city. An honest merchant cannot exist. My friend, I look into your cause, and if it is a just one, we'll play a benefit for you someday. You have a very cozy cellar here, but it gives me the bends. It is hopeless. You are free to go. Oh, free? They go free knowing about us? I say lock them up. No. We must show our friends that it is Soradin who is the tyrant, not us. When you have found out that I speak the truth, you will be back. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, December 30th, 2021. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Trying to convince people to follow your cause is, as our opener suggests, hopeless. <laughs> Causes are fought only by those who are either directly suffering from some kind of oppression, or those who have a principled understanding of a given threat of oppression and its deadly consequences, or by ideologically driven sociopaths and psychopaths. And unfortunately, that's the majority of cause fighters, even though they represent a minority of people within any given society. How can you tell the difference between the principled and the ideological? Principled causes endeavor to put laws and cultural practices into place that are consistent with human nature, with truth, with reality, and with reason, and which benefit the general welfare. Ideological causes always attempt to change humanity in some way, to mold human beings and force human behavior into some artificial and unnatural and false narrative that suits the ideologues themselves. As the year 2021 draws to a close, we are still faced with the constant threat of mandatory lockdowns, mandatory masking, mandatory vaccinations, mandatory speech, all justified under some broad umbrella and authority of public health. Health care and politics are a poisonous mix, and it is the very fact that we allowed our governments to get involved in the provision of health care that has led to our COVID crisis today. So blame it all on the socialists, right? Right, yeah, the socialists. And you know who the most destructive socialists in Ontario have always been? They're progressive conservatives. 
And to demonstrate this truth, what we'll be hearing today are selected parts of a much longer interview with Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever conducted by Robert Vaughn and which was released on Just Right's YouTube and Rumble platforms earlier this week. Whether you're interested in one province's electoral politics or not, what you'll hear from Paul today strikes at the root not only of the realities behind our health care crisis, but also the realities behind our ever-eroding individual freedom and our individual right to freedom of choice. It all gets underway right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and archived broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Our guest today is Paul McKeever, leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario. Hi, Paul. Hi, Robert. How are you? I'm doing great. So why don't you tell everybody about yourself and your party for the upcoming June election in Ontario. And then we can get into some really interesting um, politics, which would be the fracturing of the Conservative Party and the uh, Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario and the medical tyranny that is being imposed on Ontarians by the Doug Ford government. So Paul, yourself and your party, can you give us um, a brief overview? Sure, sure. Quick bio. Born and raised in Oshawa, Ontario, motor city of, of the country, at least until it wasn't. Uh, went to, to Trent University, studied, uh, did a bachelor of, uh, honors bachelor of science in psychology. Uh, went to University of Western Ontario to continue my cognitive psychology uh, studies at the master's level. And then I entered the PhD program for one year before deciding to leave it. And uh, went to law school for three years at Western. Studied there for three years, uh, graduated, and then I articled in London, Ontario with the firm of uh, Cohen Hiley uh, for one year. And uh, I came out and set, set up my own practice. So straight out of the gate, straight out of law school, started my own practice which quickly became an employment law practice. And I've been doing that since 1997. And of course, in the last, well, year especially, but especially in the last few months, there have been a lot of people calling my office about COVID mandates, you know, being put on unpaid suspensions, et cetera. And I'm dealing with all that right at the, you know, at the front lines, as they like to say, but, you know, where the rubber's really hitting the road, where people are losing their jobs, et cetera. And, uh, and I'm also working for employers uh, where they're trying to navigate all of these new rules that keep, get thrown at them every day by the Ford government. In terms of uh, in terms of my association with the Freedom Party of Ontario, that started in um, 1992 because I was attending grad school and I ran into one of the professors there was Doreen Kimura. She was a professor, exceptionally talented person, who recommended I look into the Freedom Party and I marched down to Freedom Party's offices with my $5 bill and paid a membership and got on the mailing list. 95, I assisted with then uh, leader uh, Lloyd Walker uh, delivering pamphlets. And that was a big election. 95 was the election in which uh, Mike Harris became premier. Uh, in 1999, I ran for the, uh, for the party in Rosedale and uh, as a candidate. And I started doing television appearances for the party, primarily on shows like uh, Rhonda London Live and uh, Michael Corrin's show. In 2002, uh, Lloyd Walker stepped down and the party 
appointed essentially me to be uh, the leader of that party. And I've been the uh, leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario since that time. And uh, I've run the party through the elections of 03, 07, 2011, 2014, uh, and then of course 2018. And this will be in tw June 2022, you know, the next challenge. So I have had a lot of experience in advocating individual freedom. The party I'm leading has the most experience uh, advocating individual freedom of any party on earth, literally on planet earth. I, I don't think there is a single party anywhere that has ever done as much as Freedom Party has. And it's all documented because we also have the world's largest online archive, free online archive of everything the party's done. What's the website? That's uh, www.freedomparty.onisnancy.ca slash archive will get you to all that. I mean, we're talking videos, audios, uh, radio shows, documents, publications, election platforms, photographs, everything. We just dumped the entire office of, of, you know, archive material onto a scanner and put it on for all the world to see. Because at the time, this, this project started in 2012, putting it online. At the time, it was quite easy to get slandered on things like uh, Wikipedia, where the communists, and I mean communists, hardcore communists, would get on there and tell all sorts of lies about Freedom Party, its origin, what it's advocated for, and et cetera. And uh, this basically disallowed that kind of lying to go on because now you can verify it all. Nothing's hidden. It's all there. And on that site, you will find videos and contributions of myself. And I should not fail to mention Bob Metz, who is the co-host of our anchor program, Just Right, on uh, Shortwave. And Bob is the president and co-founder of the Freedom Party of Ontario. I got to hand it to you for, for you know, understanding the difference though between just right the media you know organization and freedom party the political electoral organization well we make no bones about it come elections we endorse parties and naturally of course we would endorse the freedom party of ontario at one point on the show we endorsed uh, stephen harper's conservatives federally um, i did that personally i don't know so much that bob metz did but I did that mainly out of the immigration policies of the Liberal government and the uh, Conservatives in counterpoint to that. And naturally, uh, we've um, fallen into the camp of the People's Party of Canada and Maxime Bernier. And I've, I've interviewed Max several times and uh, documented a lot of the history of the People's Party of Canada. Uh, is video that I've taken and it's exclusive, like the um, acclamation of Max as leader by by a round of applause nobody has that video but me you know because i was there and i recorded it <laughs> so that aside um explain a little bit about freedom party of ontario its uh, statement of principles its policies and um you won't have any platform planks yet however maybe you can tell us about some of the past ones that have been implemented by the yeah, federal government yeah. well all of the previous elections had um i think the very earliest uh, elections, so 95 and, and in the 80s, uh, didn't so much have what would be called an election platform as much as the party had a fairly substantial set of policies on a wide variety of things. So you knew what you were getting in terms of the party itself. Election platforms, I think, really started, um, it was either 99 or in 2003. And uh, all of those platforms you can find online, we've always taken the same approach, and that is defending individual freedom. We're not opposed to something that's going on in the legislature. That's not our main goal. Our goal is to 
advance the law toward defending individual freedom, to elect the people necessary to get in there, change the law, and make sure that government's doing its proper role, which is defending your freedom to make decisions for yourself so that you can pursue your own happiness if that's what you choose to do without someone trying to take your life, your liberty, and your property away from you without your consent. Consent is the big word for us. Um, you know, we're not a majority rule party. Well, the majority wants it, so therefore it's right. We're not in favor of that. If the majority wants to take the minority and murder them, harm them, enslave them, etc., we are opposed to the majority in that kind of situation, as we are right now. So Freedom Party right now, you know, we are opposed to the segregation that's being imposed by the um, Ford government and, and with the cheers and, you know, uh, accolades of everybody else, the NDP, the liberals, the media, you know, the, as you'll call them, the welfare media. Um, everyone's just saying, yes, you know, thank you, sir, may I have another? They were all essentially the same. I don't mean that in the sense that, you know, they're all dishonest or they're all corrupt or none of that. I, sure, they are, but, but that's not what I mean. I just think that uh, if you look at the way they act in any given situation, um, it's going to be the same. In other words, there's a crisis, a healthcare crisis. What's the right thing to do? We got to act together. We have to sacrifice for the greater good. It's always the same. Whereas Freedom Party doesn't agree with all of that stuff. We're not pro-sacrifice. We're not all in this together. There is no us. There is every individual. And the government's role is to make sure that no one says, you're in our tribe, and if you leave, we're going to kill you. But the government's role is to separate us to the point where we can make decisions for ourselves in harmony with our neighbors, but not at the, at the you know, point of a gun by our neighbors. And uh, in, in contrast, you've seen Doug Ford, for example, call people like us, people who just want to be left alone to pursue their own happiness in their own way, who want to take, make their own healthcare decisions and protect themselves from viral infection in whatever ways they think, or who want to deal with illness in the ways that they and their doctor think is appropriate for them. Uh, anyone who wants that kind of choice is called a, a Yahoo. So you're a Yahoo if you're not um, getting into your tribe, taking the tribal medicine, sharing the tribal bread, uh, throwing the, the tribal virgins into the tribal volcano, making sacrifices of yourself for others, none of which has actually helped anybody. In fact, we've just seen the biggest mass suicide in the economy the world over, all because people will not accept that the moral way for government to govern is to defend your freedom of choice. We need you to stay in your home for a couple weeks. It's for the greater good. We need you to close your business just for a short time. It's for the greater good. We need you to stay home just a little bit longer than two weeks. It's, it's for the greater good. We need you to wear this on your face. It's, it's for the greater good. We need you to wear two of these on your face. It's for the greater good. We need you to inject this into your body. It's for the greater good. We need you to spend the holidays alone. It's for the greater good. You must inject this into your body if you want to feed your family. It's for the greater good. We need you to stop eating that. It's not good for the environment. It's for the greater good. 
We need you to stop driving your car and flying. It's for the greater good. We need you to stop heating your home so often. It's for the greater good. We need you to stop saying that. It's hurting some people's feelings. This is for the greater good. We need you to stop having children. It's not good for the planet. This is for the greater good. We need you to stop talking about your faith. It's offending people. This is for the greater good. We need to separate you from your children because you're not complying. This is for the greater good. We need to hold you in a facility for a little while for not cooperating. This is for the greater good. This is for the greater good. This is for the greater good. Roman Babber said, despite lockdowns and almost 90% vaccination rate, we're back to square one. We need to stop giving Ford Nation, Doug Ford, the benefit of the doubt. We need a better way forward. Protect long-term care, build hospital capacity, respect choice, and return to normal. Here's a quick summary. Um, yeah, I'd like Roman or, or um, Randy Hillier to be the For leader. For two years, Ontarians here's, here's did what was asked of them. Lockdowns, school closures, erosion of democracy, and vaccination didn't do the trick. Despite 90% of eligible Ontarians vaccinated, the Ford government is determined to persist with the nightmare of the last two years. It's time to stop giving Doug Ford and public health the benefit of the doubt and pivot our pandemic response. That's why I invite you to consider a better way forward. One, protect long-term care. More than 80% of Canadians who passed away from COVID were residents of long-term care homes. Let's focus on where the risk is and respond with adequate staffing and resources. Two, build healthcare capacity. 400 ICU patients should not shut down a province of 15 million people. Ontario's healthcare capacity is on the ropes. We have less capacity now than we did in March 2020. We need to focus on more staffing, particularly nurses. Let's bring all our healthcare heroes back and rethink compensation to attract and retain talent. Three, let Ontarians make their own healthcare choices. Ontarians are welcome to follow public health advice, but no Ontarian should be punished, threatened, or vilified for their personal choices. There is no place for segregation in Ontario. And four, return to normal. It's time to heal. Many Ontarians, especially Ontario's children, are unable to bear public health intervention any longer. Returning to normal is the best thing we can do for our health and well-being. It's time to heal. Protect long-term care build healthcare capacity, let Ontarians make their own healthcare choices, and return to normal. That is a better way forward, in that it affords protection to those that are vulnerable to COVID, but recognizes the importance of a return to normal. For the sake of our health, mental health, our children, and our lives and livelihoods, I want to wish you and your loved ones a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I think that's a good message, good Christmas message, good New Year message hopeful. Um, man, it would be nice. It would be nice to return to normal and have some sanity restored in government, wouldn't it? Holy smokes. Everybody's got a better way forward. <laughs> it's hard enough, you know, to get people to see the problem on, in the same way. But even when they are on the same page with respect to a problem, then the far more difficult challenge is to get people to see the solution, the way forward. 
So welcome to the world of politics, where strange bedfellows end up in groups like, say, Ontario's End the Lockdown Caucus, of which both Paul McKeever and I are members, as are many of the people we will be criticizing and disagreeing with today. And another part of the world of politics are splinter political parties. And everyone, to put it in the words of Randy Hillier, wanting to be the leader, quote-unquote. Now, Baber, of course, is running as an independent, but his progressive conservative roots have blossomed into yet another progressive variant of manage the economy, manage health care. Let's go back to our socialist ways days. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. There was nothing new there at all. Everything he proposed is what brought us to our mess that we're in here in the first place. Robert and Paul will be discussing these variant conservatives a bit later on in the show, but right now their attention will be focused on the big issue, the elephant in the room, our crumbling socialistic so-called healthcare system. And if, you know, if you look back at the um, bits of you know, history in the media, so in the newspapers, you can see headlines in every year since 1969, they've always said the healthcare system is in crisis. They've always said it. They've always admitted it. Before 2019, or before this uh, coronavirus, it was uh, hallway healthcare. That was the big thing everyone was complaining about. People were in the hallways because there aren't enough rooms for them all to go into. Well, there actually are a lot of rooms, but they closed off whole floors because they didn't want to pay for people to provide services in those floors. It's an absurdity. It's obscene. So, no, I, I, you know, I have no problem at all uh saying that freedom party would take a different tack it's an obvious tack uh in the sense that it hits at the ethical level you are not there to sacrifice first and maybe if you get some happiness well good for you it, it, the healthcare system right now needs competition the whole reason purportedly anyway for implementing the mask mandates the, sh the shots the the social distancing and all of this stuff remember was flatten the curve. What's the curve they're talking about? Demand for medical services in our hospitals. They wanted to flatten the demand, stretch it out so that they won't, weren't overrun in the hospitals. Why are they concerned? Because the hospitals since 1969 have been a government monopoly that is uh, taxpayer funded and that provides rations of healthcare based on exquisite need. Like you've had a heart attack or you just smashed your motorcycle into a bridge abutment. Okay, now you're in. But you've got cancer symptoms? Well, it's going to take us a couple of years to do the scan or a year. I waited one year for an MRI. Mm -hmm. uh, thankfully, nothing was wrong with me, but I had to wait a year in fear that I, I was concerned that I might have a, a, you know, a distended blood vessel that if it exploded, you know, you're dead. That's just it. It wasn't, but, you know, had some symptoms that might have been consistent with that. And Ontario essentially says we're going to have a system that by not diagnosing people quickly, is not responsible for helping them quickly. If you die while you're waiting, it's not our fault. You know, that's, that is the system we have. And it's probably the worst system on the planet. And m many people don't even have family physicians in Ontario. And it's the same throughout Canada. Here in New Brunswick, we moved here just over a year ago. I tried to call up some family physicians and saying, look, we just moved here. Would you like to be my doctor? Um, no, you have to get into the system and then they will appoint you a doctor. It can take anywhere from one to three years, if you're lucky, to get a family physician. Otherwise, go to Emerge. 
And scores going to emerge means the hospitals are inundated by people with the sniffles. Right. Absolutely. Because it's free to go. Yeah. Right. There's no charge. Anybody can go with a hangnail. I've got ringing in my ears. My eyes a little bit blurry, you know. Uh, meanwhile, the guys like my my brother was in the hospital. He was he had been on a, an IV drip, unable to eat, uh, condition in his gizzards, you know. And that's a medical term, right? Yeah, gizzards. Yeah, they gave him twenty four hours to live because he'd been on the drip for just so long. Like he was he was so weak he couldn't open his eyes. So my parents said, "You better come down and see him. It might be the last time you see, see him." You know. Um, and he could not get in to emergency, uh, sorry, into the, into the operating room, right? Where they would have done the operation to remove the thing that was inflamed in him and that was killing him effectively. And, uh, just after I left the hospital, uh, turns out some candy stripers or whatever they call them came in to try and move my brother from his room bed onto a trolley to take him into the operating room because, uh, the operating room had just become free. They had been in doing an operation on some guy who literally did ride a motorcycle into a rigid moment. That's why that example always comes to my mind. Um, the uh, candy strippers were taking too long. Nurse or nurse says, but I think it was one nurse, uh, comes in the room and says, what are you taking so long for? What's going on? Oh, we can't get him out of the bed. And do, you know, they weren't doing something properly. They weren't experienced. No. She says, out of my way. She took the whole bedroom bed, which I guess is on wheels of some kind of itself. And took the whole bed right into the operating room. And my parents, who were there at the time, they're like, what just happened? And the nurse explained, you know, we've only got one operate. This is at St. Mike's Hospital in Toronto, a, a city of millions, okay? One of, what, five hospitals? Major hospitals. Uh, she says, well, you see, we only have one operating room. It's the weekend, so there's only one operating room going. And it just became available, and it's first come, first serve. In other words, there were other people in the same hospital who, if they had had a candy striper get them into the operating room sooner, would have gotten served before my brother, my brother would have died. And the nurse, knowing how badly off he was, made a point of getting him in there before someone else could get the room. Now, that should never be the status of our healthcare system. But it is because the government has set up a system with rations healthcare. I just want to explain what that means. It's not, you know, just saying, oh, they do a poor job. It literally means by design, they ration the amount because they don't want to pay more than right now. It already consumes two thirds of the Ontario budget, like all the money that's coming in two thirds of it's just going to healthcare alone. Why? Because if you say ice cream's free, everyone will want some, you know, you'll have an ice cream budget that, that blows out the entire budget. If you have a make it free, if you had food care, the same thing would happen. It would take up the majority of the budget. Why? Because everyone wants a roast, you know, every night and a jug of ice cream and, you know, six gallons of pop and all the other crap. So they've, they made a system that's free, so-called free, which means it's just paid for by people who earn money and pay taxes, but not by people who don't earn money and don't pay taxes. Although even some of them pay taxes whenever they buy something at the store, you know, sales taxes. Um, and because it was getting so expensive, they said, what can we do? This is back in Ray days, like in the 1990s. They said, well, the premiers get together because they're all experiencing the same problem. They've all socialized and made a government monopoly out of their healthcare systems. They've all banned private healthcare, banned private insurance, banned private provision of, of uh, healthcare services because 
they think socialism sells, and it does, right? Clearly, a majority wanted something for nothing, and they got it. But what they really got was nothing for nothing. And um, the, I believe it was 90 or 92, they came up with the great idea of, well, one way to provide, uh, to, to keep the costs under control is to limit the number of physicians. So we will put a cap on the number of people who can study medicine and get a license to practice medicine in the province. And if there's only so many physicians, there's only so many mouths to feed. So that's, we got shortages of physicians, shortages of nurses. They don't want the provision of healthcare. It costs too much, right? They know it does. If they had doctors, if they had more doctors, more services, they'd have a bigger cost to pay. But it's already swallowing most of the budget. No one wants to admit that the system is broken by design, that it was never meant to provide. In fact, there's a video, a Freedom Party video we've produced. I think it's called From the Horse's Mouth. And because Tommy Douglas, the Western socialist, um, father of Canadian medicine, right, Canadian socialized medicine, admits, he explains, look, when we said we have to socialize medicine, it was never the case that we were suggesting that we move to a system where whenever you got sick or injured, you'd get service. That's impossible. He admits this. He says this. So watch the video. I'm, this is not me. This is Tommy Douglas spearheading the move toward this system where they cannot help all the sick and injured. He says, what we wanted was preventative medicine. Now, preventative medicine and mandatory vaccinations kind of go hand in hand, don't they? In other words, it's a socialist idea. Let's try and prevent people from needing healthcare by shooting them full of things that may or may not help because communists ain't got the cash to pay for the system that they thought was so great. Um, and that's all we've got. We've got a system that, that is designed for preventative maintenance, not for dealing with everyone's uh, needs when they get ill, sick and injured. The sick and injured in, in these provinces, in Canada, largely are, if you're really sick, but repairable, you might go to the front of the line. If you're really sick, but it's doubtful to be able to do much for you, you're, you're a lost cause. If you're not particularly sick, you can wait. And if you might be sick, we don't want to know yet. So we're going to put you on a delay list for diagnosis. Because if we had to find out that you have cancer or whatever it is, then we owe you this health care. Yeah. But if we don't know you're sick, plausible deniability. And that's what we've got. And it's driving, Robert, this entire mask up, lockdown, shoot your stuff full of... It's all of the socialists trying to save the healthcare system. They aren't even saying to save people. They literally say in their press conferences, we have to save the healthcare system. The system. They're not saving people. They're saving the socialist system. From what? From embarrassment. That's what they're saving it from. They don't want people to realize that it's not financially sound. It's that not it a cannot healthcare system. It is a sick care system. Well, that's what a healthcare system should be. Care for the sick. But instead, all it does, all it's designed to do, is shoot you full of things that hopefully will keep you from getting sick. Hmm. Although they never seem to take anything that really makes you sick seriously you know, obesity or what have you. I mean, obesity is through the roof. Um, and it's no mistake that the people most affected by coronavirus infection, like the ones who get seriously ill, are the ones who are obese or have diabetes, and those two things go together. So, uh, you know, um, I'm not saying government should be telling people to exercise. That's not the role of government. 
but but it also isn't the role of gov- you know government to form a healthcare system that doesn't provide any health care that just prevents people from getting sick or that hopes to prevent people so that it will never be called upon to actually remediate anybody's problems. I would like to welcome on the show Kevin and he is our whistleblower Canadian paramedic. We do know, um, I do have a share up there that there have been about 10,000 people that have been let go. If you see that there, I'll kind of move it. True North reported on this. I love True North. Provinces sacked almost 10,000 healthcare workers, and it's probably more than that, I think. Thank you for being on the show. I wonder if you could begin by telling us uh, a little bit about yourself. What's led you to this place where you feel you have to be so honest? Well, I've been a paramedic for in excess of 30 years. That's a third of a century. And I have never seen the kind of things that I've seen in the last couple of years. And in some of the provinces, I found out that they've even taken off some of the immediate intervention equipment like CPAP and Ventolin that we give to patients. And these are critical medications because they're saying that, well, we're afraid that we would aerosolize these medications and thus create a risk to the crew and other people. But in, as I say, almost a third of a century, I've never seen anybody get sick by using PPE safely. It's just not what happens. Whereas now we're arbitrarily assuming that everyone is sick, even though they have no symptoms and we're taking them in perhaps for their normal medical concerns that we, you know, seen them before in the past, but we're withholding life-giving medications and treatments and procedures from them. And even when they get to the hospital, if they're given a diagnosis of, uh, from a PCR test of COVID or something like that, then the way they're even treated at the hospital changes. And, and it, I just been watching this for the last few years and it, it's, it just really hurts to see patients not treated properly and seeing paramedics not being able to do their jobs properly. So in a, a major metropolitan station where you're doing typically, you know, you figure you know, 15 to 20 minutes out to the house, maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes on scene, depending on what type of scene it is, then back to a hospital with a, again, metropolitan wait, wait times are between, you know, one and two or three hours sometimes, depending on the, the call volume. So you're in a 12-hour shift, you know, we're working in a major metropolitan city. I'll keep that out of there. But uh, we're typically doing seven to nine calls a day, even with those t- think about those travel times that's that's almost a non-stop day shift and the nights not quite as busy but they're still busy so as soon as this so-called pandemic hit we went down and, and i've been in this city particularly for uh, you know quite a few years now we went down from as i say seven to nine calls minimum if you took a, a mean average throughout the year we went down to one and sometimes two calls a day zero calls sometimes <laughs> at night wow and as evidence worldwide, all around the world, people themselves have been going into hospitals, car parks, going walking through Emerge and various places and filming for the next several months that they're empty. And that's what we experienced. I mean, the major center that I work in, our Emerge, I have never seen it in the last, I won't quantify the time, but over the last multiple years, I have never seen it with less than at least 14 to 18 people. Sometimes the overflow goes right through into other departments, down into the 
medical imaging and various other areas where they can store some extra people. And there's 60 people waiting there and their average wait times, depending on the urgency. And even if it's relatively urgent, they, you know, of course they try to triage them, but they can only deal with volume. But, you know, there's typical wait times for something like, you know, a badly cut hand or something like this. You're looking at three to five to six hours. So suddenly we, these, these rooms are empty, you know, and there might be one solitary patient sitting in there in the evening waiting for the doctor. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And Kevin was actually a whistleblower from Ontario, completely confirming our own observations made as long ago as early 2020 by our own personal whistleblowers. Now, the Conservative Party has been getting rid of any opposition within their ranks. And these disaffected progressive conservatives have started their own parties. Some of them, uh, Baber, for example, has not. He's yeah. just sitting as an in independent. But um, the others have, Randy Hillier, uh, Jim and Belinda Cariolos, and um, <coughs> Trillium Parties, Bob um, Yatsiuk. They came from a, a previous wave of opportunism. So I they started in 2014. They're still yeah. on the books. So I don't know if they're going to run any candidates or not. Yeah, if I recall correctly, that was a that was a pet project by someone someone out there formed this Trillium Party, and Jack McLaren had gotten kicked out of the PC caucus. We always see this. Anybody who voices any opposition to any form of socialism gets kicked out of the PC caucus eventually. So Jack McLaren got kicked out. He knew he wouldn't be getting the PC nomination, so they offered him the leadership of the Trillium Party. Jack seemed to be a good guy, and he was one of the Ontario landowner. Uh, Rabble rousers, if you want to call it that. Oh, with Randy Hillier, yeah. With Randy Hillier. And so, you know, it made sense. And the interesting thing about Randy is, um, you know, his, his heart's in the right place. He, he's not really a pro-freedom guy. That's what I wanted to ask you about. That's what I was uh, leading up to, is that none of them have freedom in the name of their party. No, and, and there's a reason for Well, there's a reason also why they don't just join Freedom Party. Yeah, well, we all know that. Because, yeah, they're not in favor of individual freedom. That's not really what they're in favor of. They want freedom from the mask mandate or freedom from the lockdowns, right? A particular issue. Yeah, yeah. They're opposed to something. Mm -hmm. So if they're opposed to something, they want to be free of it. In that sense, they're a freedom party. But it's not. <laughs> but, but they're not for individual freedom as any person would normally define it. Randy uh, has stood up for things like... Um, I remember there was a, a bill proposed by the Liberals, I think it went through, and I think Jack McLaren was the only one to stand up and oppose it. It was a bill that said you can't come within so far of of a uh, abortion clinic with a with a sign objecting. So it was, it was against expression objecting to uh, abortion. Jack McLaren voted against. Randy Hillier did not show up for the vote. That's kind of strange if you want to be an advocate of free speech to not speak up against a law that would limit free speech, right? But if you look at what Randy has proposed in the legislature for like private members bills and that kind of thing, usually they're um, about procedure. So he wants accountability, transparency, one member, one vote. He's not, he's in fact, it's really funny that he would want to start a political a party at all because he's against them. Uh, he does not like party discipline. He doesn't want a leader that sets up party policy and requires the members who traded their, their independence for the nomination of the party. I mean, that's what you do. You say, I'm an MPP or I want to be an MPP. 
but I don't think I can get in without the support, the endorsement of a major party. So I am going to enter into agreement where I will support the party's policies if they will give me the endorsement. That's what partisan politics is. It's saying parties, the party's going to be the decision maker. I'm going to add my voice to the party so that we can push through the party's program. And Hillier's always been against towing the party line. He's been kicked out, I think, by Tim Hudak when he was when Hudak was the leader, he's been kicked out of caucus now, out of the party, by Doug Ford, as has Belinda Carahelios. The Carahelioses are famously, if you go to the LifeSite news site, um, they're, they're basically portrayed as a pro-life couple. So that's what they're about. They're the social conservatives who are trying to push through their agenda and who feel, again, they're about procedure because they're under the impression that uh, the party is not allowing them to use the party to push their policies. So they started another party. Well, interestingly, if you look at uh, what Jim Carahelio said about why he started New Blue, he said, well, they told Belinda, who wants the nomination for 2022, the progressive conservative nomination, and he wanted to be the leader of the federal conservatives. I don't know if he threw his name in the hat for the uh, provincial conservatives, but he's always been involved. Because they, they told her, you will not get the nomination. We're not allowing you to have, have the nomination. He says, quote unquote, we had no option but to, to form our own party because Belinda won't get the PC nomination. If you watch their videos on their website um, and their Twitter feed, all I get, my own impression, personal impression about this, is that they are two people with an axe to grind against the blue machine federally and provincially. They really have no policies other than their social conservatism, progressive conservatism policies, and they are not a, a, a real contender in the field of ideas. They have no ideas. No, and in fact, that's the funny thing about these parties, like in particular Ontario First Party, which is the Randy Hillier Vanity Project, and then the, um, the New Blue. Neither party has ever had a slate of candidates. Neither party has ever participated in an election. Neither party has ever had an election platform. Ontario First Party, by the way, the name is not even registered yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He has to, to get on the ballot, though. It's pretty simple now. What they do is they just allow anybody to form a party. This is to create a lot of white noise, right? So that new parties are difficult to find, legitimate ones. And so they just flood the field with as many new parties as possible so that hopefully the progressive conservatives, the liberals and the NDP don't face any competitors that no one's aware that there are competitors. There's just those three and then white noise. That's the, the way they changed the electoral system or the party aspect of it. Um, that was the liberals who changed it. And that was due to a constitutional challenge, actually, because at the time, provincial parties were forced to pay $200 per candidate in a province with over 100 ridings, 100 candidates. So you would have to have, you know, considerable amount of money raised by the candidate typically just to get on the ballot. Well, that was unconstitutional. And so they said, well, we, there's only like six or seven parties in the province right now. There were the PC's Liberal NDP, Green Libertarian Freedom Party, and maybe I think there was the Family Coalition Party at, at one point. And that was the social conservative offshoot of the PC's. There's always a, a social conservative offshoot of the PC's, right? The people are just a little bit too religiously motivated for the progressive conservatives to think they can win if they use their policies. Yeah, you went from a, a, an Ontario with like six or seven parties to an Ontario with like 25 or 27 or 29. 23 registered right now, I counted just before we met. Okay, there you go. Yeah, and, and more to come because of the ones that are 
reserve. Or, uh, reserve, yeah. All they have to do, I think, is run two candidates and they get to be on the, on the roster. Anyway, you were saying that they have no uh, electoral history, not like the Freedom Party. Nothing. There, there's no history that would demonstrate to anybody that they're actually in favor of individual freedom. If you look at what they've done as politicians, you can see on the, on the Karahelio side, like you say, people are just resentful of the party machinery. And even in Randy Hillier's case, again, resentful of the party machinery, uh, which he thinks would be resolved if the party could not whip votes, right? If, if, every, if it was one member, one vote, in which case you don't even need a political party because everyone is just running as an independent and doing what they want. And that's fine. You might think that's fine. Okay. But the whole uh, constitution in Canada, the whole reason that we make as premier, the leader of the party having won the most seats, we don't elect the premier. The premier is appointed by the queen's representative, by the lieutenant governor, right? And the, and the rule used, the constitutional rule used is count up the number of winners in each party, whichever party has the greatest number of winners, number of MPPs, the leader of that party becomes the premier just appointed by the queen. Same thing federally. The prime minister is appointed by the queen. And when the premier or the prime minister is appointed, they then recommend to the queen's representative, the governor general or the lieutenant, uh, lieutenant governor general, who should be cabinet ministers. And then they're all appointed. So we don't elect the government. The government is the cabinet. And as a matter of fact, they can, the leader, uh, the Premier and the Prime Minister can actually appoint non-sitting people to the Cabinet. And it has been done. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to be elected to be in the government. You have to be elected to be a lawmaker, to be in the legislature, but not to be making regulations, because that's where regulations are made in government, not in the legislature. The regulations include, for example, all those regulations that have been made pursuant to Bill 195. So Bill 195 was the one that said, well, although the coronavirus pandemic has ended in, I think it was July of 2020. We're going to continue our emergency powers in the absence of an emergency, uh, which is completely absurd because it's all of these regulations that they then pass pursuant to Bill 195, the cabinet. They're basically saying, we don't need the legislature anymore. The cabinet's running the whole show. And that of course would up, should upset everybody, right? Because our elected representatives have no power over the government, uh, effectively being run by uh, a handful of people, all of whom can can thank you know another handful of very wealthy donors and connected people for their positions. We're, we do not have elected parties even right now running this country. As a matter of fact, um, Doug Ford is has. If you ask me, Doug Ford has no um, say in what is going on in that party. I mean, he stands there like a deer caught in the headlights. Let me be perfectly clear that we are all in this together. Therefore, we must never get together. Mayor McCheesecake. That's, that's what he is at this point. He's a, he's a figurehead, you know. I, let's face it. If anyone's ever heard the guy talk, you know he is not a particularly intelligent man. He's certainly not well-versed in, in governance. And, it, you know, it's clear when he says we're taking our advice from the science table or from, from the experts in medicine and et cetera, what he's saying is, I am, I am, I've abandoned my post. I'm going to make them the decision makers. And if they make the wrong decisions, it's on them. It's not on me. Vote for me. Today, we take a trip to our neighbor to the north, the country of Canada. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman.
Now, my guest for today's program is Robert Metz. Now, one of the listeners to this program encouraged me to go to the website for a program called Just Right. And it is hosted by Robert Metz and others. And and by the way, he is the founding member, one of the founding members of the Freedom Party of Ontario back in 1984, has been its president ever since. And I'm thoroughly certain that in that capacity, he's irritated a lot of the, shall we say, status quo. And I'm excited to have him on the program today because there's a lot happening with our neighbor to the north that really influences and means a lot to all of us in the United States. What happens in Canada, United States, it's going to happen in Australia, New Zealand, United Kingdom. We all have a shared heritage. We all have a shared responsibility. We're not even 10 and a half months into getting injected, and they're already talking about a fourth shot for people. This is ridiculous. Hey, up, and up and children. Canada, we are Up here in Canada, we already know they're planning for eight shots and, and are in areas of Europe, and they've already, that story's already come out. Mm-hmm. Trudeau's ordered enough quote-unquote vaccines for eight doses, and there have been some documents online uncovered that show that they, the vaccine passports, which are an obscenity, by the way, absolutely, um, are are already pre, you know, predetermined to have eight entries on them. They want they want to see each person with eight of these jabs stuck into them. Wow! And you know, you met, Th- those that live to those those that can make it through all eight jabs. And, you know, you asked me an interesting question in one of our previous email exchanges. You asked, how is freedom being stolen in Canada? And, you know, I can't answer that question because I would say freedom is never stolen. It's always given up. And, pardon the pun, given up freely. Yeah, and that you're very true. I ran into something yeah. I ran into something I shared in the program earlier this week that really was kind of an eye-opener when you understand how people can be persuaded to become followers. You know, you you would assume that you've got to have the majority of the people behind you, a majority. The truth is you don't. Um, the only thing I can say is my personal experience is that I'm definitely being persecuted by my regulatory body just for the mere fact of asking questions and exploring other options of comprehensively managing patients during this pandemic to the extent that my college has suspended my license. So as I'm sitting here, I'm a suspended physician without a license to be able to do my job as a physician in this pandemic while I was on the front line as an ER physician. Um, it means that I think people that are willing to question the narrative is a challenge to them at this moment. If they haven't seen into the future where some of us are actually willing to take it further and say, we're not going to back down, even though we are in a court battle at this moment, we are going to fight even harder now to create that parallel system because it's not just for us, it's for us as well as our children in the future. And you're absolutely correct with that graph that you posted there. For many years, we've known of Canadians traveling to the States, traveling to the Cayman Islands, to traveling to the Caribbean, to Mexico, to get extra medical services that they were willing to pay for. 
So it's easy for us to think that healthcare is free in Canada. If there's anything that this pandemic has taught us in the last year and a half, two years, it's absolutely not been free. In fact, the price has been very high for the healthcare system that we've got. Because the problem is if you only have one healthcare system, who is in control of that healthcare system? Who controls the funding of that healthcare system? The state and the government, which means they have total control of what is done in those facilities, which includes family health teams, as well as hospitals. So clearly they anticipate at least eight doses. This is this idea that two and you're done, or one and you're done, well, three and you're done, maybe four, uh, no one said five yet, but give it a month. Um, and, you know, I'm really concerned that the, the literature coming out now on the damage being done by these things, damage to people's hearts, people's vision, neurological conditions. These aren't fakeries. These aren't so rare that we could ignore them. They are more predominant than the, than the deaths from this Omicron. I mean, they had a, what was it? Um, there has been no deaths by Omicron. Right. And a, and a thousand people with, a, you know, tested positive. So they get called a case, even though they're perfectly healthy and they're not feeling ill. And only two of them ended up having to get hospitalized. And hospitalized doesn't mean they were in the ICU. It just means they went to the hospital, you know. So the whole thing is so overblown. It, it seems to be the case that the college for the physicians and surgeons has basically said, if you don't toe the line, Mr. Physician or Madam Physician, your license is in jeopardy. So we don't really have independent doctors right now. We have a politicized system where physicians will not. It's, it was the exact same thing you'll recall. In the year 2000, the Supreme Court of Canada said that the medical use of cannabis, so there were all kinds of different things people were using cannabis for, visual impairments, physical pain, that kind of stuff. Well, the charter, uh, according to the charter, the Supreme Court of Canada said no, the medical use of cannabis is perfectly acceptable. Laws against it are invalid. Great. How do you prove that you're using it medically? Oh, we have to go to a physician. What does the physician do? The physician gives you a certificate that says, yes, he needs to consume cannabis for his glaucoma or what have you. How do you get one of those? Well, the physicians would not give you one. Why not? Because their college was saying uh, there haven't been enough studies. It's the ivermectin thing all over again, okay? There hasn't been enough studies. There's no control group. We don't know exactly what the effect is. If you give someone a prescription for cannabis, you could lose your license. In other words, we'll take your license away. Well, who was promoting that? It wasn't the, you know, medical arm of the College of Physicians and Surgeons. It's obviously the pharmaceutical industry who stands to lose billions of dollars when people start using relatively cheap and, and, and things they can grow in their own living room, you know, to, to uh, take care of ailments and whatnot, when they could instead be buying from Pfizer, whoever, some pill that costs a hundred bucks a, a, a whack. You know, it's always been the same. If there's a cheap alternative, outlaw it. Say it's dangerous. If it's effective or more effective, then we really have to defame it. We have to say it's dangerous, it's untested, there's no control group. So that's your ivermectin, your hydro, hydro, uh, hydroxychloroquine, yours, all these various things. I'm not an expert, but we've had physicians, legitimate physicians, experts in their own field, come out and say they've been having great success with X, Y, or Z. And reflexively, these governing bodies have said, doctors, if you do, 
any of these things, in other words, if you try to remediate the harm that's done by the virus, instead of preventing the harm by having everyone injected with a experimental mRNA technology, you could lose your license. You can't even question it. You can't even cast any doubt on the effectiveness of this vaccine. It's far too important that we get everybody on board. What would the Freedom Party of Ontario do in, uh, to combat such a takeover of the medical profession by bureaucrats and politicians? For example, should we have these limits on how many physicians there are anymore? Isn't there something that needs to be investigated or discussed or looked at there? And perhaps it will find its way onto a Freedom Party election platform in 2022? Should there not be some sort of review of everything that's been done to Ontarians over the last two years by elected and unelected individuals? Should they all get a pass for everything they've done, for all the harm they've caused? What about all the people who've been fined? I can tell you right now, someone gives me the power to fix these things. Well, some people are going to have a really bad morning the, ne the, the next day, and others are going to be jumping for joy. And I'll just leave you with that, and you'll see where the platform takes you uh, as we get closer to June 2022. And I'll be very happy, and you will be too, if you cast your vote in favor of Freedom Party. Well, I know I'll be happy when I cast my vote for Freedom Party. I haven't wasted a single vote since I've been able to do so. Now, I can't predict the future or what will happen in 2022. Some of the issues we'll still be facing and which have to be addressed in the new year will include Donald Trump's bizarre support for the so-called vaccines and the criticism he's now facing from his own support base, something we have to talk about. And, of course, we'll have to continue to comment on COVID developments and with both an Ontario election and midterms in the U.S. to steal a bit of our attention in 2022, we, of course, will always be covering those events and issues in a way that's just right through the eyes of the philosopher of reason. And who knows what science, quote-unquote, our politicians, quote-unquote, will be following as they pretend to lead us into the Great Reset. Have you noticed lately how politicians claim to be making their decisions on science, while doctors and scientists tell us that they're being forced to practice their professions based on politics? <laughs> well, whatever happens in the new year, they tell us that we're all in this together. So let's get together again next year, shall we? Starting one week from today, when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. I don't approve of anybody who sells out to the Nazis. Please believe me. No matter how guilty I may seem, I have never betrayed my country. I'd like to believe that. Yes. I did research for them. You call that intelligent? Wait until they test their precious radar tomorrow, darling, and you'll find out how brilliant I really am. You see, in science, it's not the research that counts. It's how you use it. I wonder if Einstein started this way. <laughs>